If you've got a bunch of kids, I had uh, five kids under seven at one point. I had five teenagers in my house at one time, all living there. Uh, I had six children. There's a little gap between number five and number six uh, for us. But uh, I am on the home stretch, and I don't mean that in a positive way. It's not like a marathon I can't wait to finish. I am grieving. I started this whole thing by talking about the fact that, um, you know, I'm in that little window when I go, man, there's, there's a chance, literally within 10 months, 12 months, I could be, you know, uh, a grandfather if, you know, that happened with my, my daughter. And everybody always talks about how great being a grandfather is because you get all the joys of being a parent with none of the responsibilities the way it kind of goes. But let me just tell you this. Everybody wants to be a good grandfather, right? Well, I'm going to tell you the secret today to being a good grandfather. And that is to be a great dad. It's not going to be to have a job when you have enough discretionary income that you can spend some time with them and live in the same town as them and go to the same school. I mean, you know, be there for their grandparents' day and all that different stuff. You want to be a great grandparent? You better be a great dad. Because there's no greater gift to give your grandchild than a son or a daughter that's going to shepherd them daily who has been loved and has had modeled for them what a great parent does. And so don't tell me you want to be a great grandparent. Start being a great grandparent right now. You are shaping and molding the next generation of parents. They're in your house and they need you. Psalm 127 is a psalm that I think you guys might have glanced at a little bit this week in your homework. Is that right? Did you guys look at Psalm 127? I believe so. Okay. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Okay. Unless the watchman guards the city. Uh, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of pain for labors. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. The, the way that psalm starts, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So let me just tell you something. It is a fact that we get way too much credit for good kids and we take probably way too much responsibility. Probably way too much responsibility for kids that go off. And what I want to talk about is today um, the fact that I know that you can do everything that you can do as a parent and God in his sovereignty has let humans have free will and they can choose what they want to choose. I'm just going to tell you, it has been my experience in life that the preponderance of evidence seems to indicate that children who grow up in homes where a dad is present, engaged, active, initiating, the deck is way stacked in their favor. <laughs> That's just not my observation. I mean, that, that is just, there's, there's probably nothing easier to find on the internet than sociological studies that talk about the fact that the number one predictor of, of either uh, gender dysphoria, uh, sexual confusion, uh, future uh, violence, depression, suicide, imprisonment are all traced back to the guys that are in this room. And so it is true that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But let me just tell you something. That doesn't mean we don't build it. I am sure you've heard by now that uh, it is a, uh, um, you know, uh, a bad parenting plan to have the grace of God showing up being the primary influence in your kid's life. Now let me just tell you something. I don't care what you do. The grace of God better show up. And God grabs a hold of hearts in different ways and different children uh, at different times. But if your parenting program is, God will show up. Josh will do a good job in children's ministry at Watermark. Harrison will do a good job with Wake. 
Braun and David will do a great job with Shoreline. That's a really bad program. It's a fact that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But that verse implies that you are going to build it. Um, I came across this news article not long ago, and um, you know it's worth taking a little uh, chance to, to take a peek at it up here. Here's basically the headline, and um, you can see it up there. I want to read it to you. It, 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 the headline says, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. I'll read you the article. Local father Trevor Mickelson, 48, and his wife Carrie, 45, are reeling after the discovery that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter to Janie at church every Sunday, they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which was at least once every three months. She no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith that they raised her with now that she's in college. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is from a, a website called Babylon B, which is the onion of uh, smart aleck Christianity, all right? I highly recommend you waste 15 minutes on Babylon B's website. It is hilarious. But I came across this one. I'm going to read you the rest of this article because it's really funny. All right? (laughs) The headline again. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents were shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from one tournament in 2011, we never missed a single Easter. It was obviously a priority to our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. I can't tell you how often we prayed the prayer of Jabez on the way to a game, her mother said. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor, citing a recently Googled study by Barna or someone else like that. The Mickelsons further noted plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after their younger son, Robert's soccer season, calms down a bit. Now, that is just funny, okay? <laughs> because I'm going to just tell you that the uh, number one predictor of a, a young man or a young woman's future affection for things is going to be that uh, home that they were raised in. Okay, I don't know if you know this last night, but uh, the Dallas Stars got bounced by the St. Louis Blues not long ago. And uh, last night, the Blues got bounced by the San Jose Sharks from the NHL playoffs. Um, my kids grew up in Texas. Uh, we're not big hockey people. I grew up in St. Louis. It's always been a hockey town. And I grew up hating the North Stars as a kid. Um, I grew up going to school with a bunch of the Blues players, so I kind of grew up around the Blues family and likewise with the Cardinal family in baseball. And so, you know, just being around sports myself and, and different things a lot, you know, I kind of carry a little bit of paying attention to St. Louis teams. That combined with just the fact that Texas teams right now and haven't been for a while, big thing to embrace. My kids are kind of St. Louis fans. Your kids probably have either Baylor gear or Longhorn gear or A&M gear or Aggie gear or Alabama gear, whatever it is, based on kind of what you grew up in. It's kind of what they like. And it it comes from being around you. They learn their passions that way. And if you want to really learn what your kids' affections are being increasingly directed towards, all you got to do is ask them the question I ask my kids all the time, especially when they were little, and I would say to them, hey man, what do you think your daddy is passionate about? What do you think your dad cares about? Because my kids are going to learn to love what I love. They may fail to do what I say, but they very rarely fail to do what I do. 
they're going to probably honor what I honor by and large. And just like they're going to track whatever you're obsessed with in terms of sports, they're probably going to start to track toward what you're obsessed with in terms of life. And, you know, if your kids say, Dad, you're really, really wound tight about school and grades. Dad, you really, really care about appearance. Dad, you really, really care about your car. Dad, you really, really care about your golf game. You told me you're a club champion. Dad, you really, really care about your business. Then you're going to say, no matter what, whatever else you um, say to your kids, what you're really saying to your kids is, this is where life is. What I see in my life is that the thing that really turns kids toward the Lord is not having parents who who go to church on a quarterly basis or even parents who go to church every weekend. What I really see sets kids towards that which will be a sense of blessing and strength to their heart is when they see their parents abide with Christ and engage with their lost friends missionally. Pray for their neighbors talk about Jesus to their waiters and waitresses. Explain to their kids not just what their family does, but why their family does it as they open God's word, as their kids see their mom and dad not be some despot in the home, but to be a steward of the home that God is Lord of. In uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it's talking about how Ezra was one of the, the better priests in all of Israel. And, and it, it says this, and it says, um, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. And then he did the fourth thing that most of you guys probably think in this dad's class you were going to learn to do. And it's not the one thing that you should have come in this class to learn to do. You needed to come into this class and figure out if you were going to do the first three things that Ezra did. The fourth thing that Ezra did is to teach its commandments and statutes throughout Israel. And too many of us think that our job as a parent is to teach commandments and statutes throughout our little kingdom. And that is not your job. That's what police officers do. They enforce rules. And you don't want to be a dad that every time your kid sees him coming, they check their seatbelt, take the foot off the gas, and their heart beats a little faster to make sure that everything's right. Just like you do whenever you see a cop, right? What's the first thing you guys do when you see a cop? (laughs) Put off the gas, look at the speedometer, okay? Am I doing everything right? You don't go, oh, man, that's my my, my police officer, right? You You think he saw me? And there's nothing worse than kind of get on the highway and find there's a police officer four or five cars away from you. Like, ah, you don't want that to be you as a dad. If you don't have a relationship with your kids, if you don't have fun with your kids, if you don't have fellowship with your kids, if you don't invest in them, you're going to be just another school teacher in their life. Another authority that told them what to do and when to get it done by and turn it in. And you will not have relationship And relationship is what builds trust, and trust is what builds influence. And so here's just my number one rule of parenting, and that is you must be present to win. Let me just give you guys four things I want to make sure that I just lay on you as I think about what it is today that we want to talk about. They've asked me to talk a little bit about just the whole idea of 
of initiating and leadership and having a plan and context of being a parent. And gang, you want to do that. I I think we started this class in 2006. It's one of the first time we did a dad's class. God bless Kyle Kegler. He wanted to initiate and have a plan. And then Wes and the rest of the team have picked it back up and continued right now. But um, I brought a bunch of my dads that I have relationships with that don't go to churches in the community that were dads of of, uh, kids that were on teams that I was coaching. And they came to me to this. I could have never gotten them to come. They will never come to Watermark, but I got them to come talk about being a dad. And they sat in here. And I have in my dad's class book from 2006 a couple of comments. One of them from a gentleman that said, Hey, man, last week I realized that I've got a plan for my career. I've got a plan for my health. I've got a plan for my vacation this year, but I have no plan for being a dad. Another guy at my table said, you know, I didn't think that I would wake up and my kids would be 14, 12, and 9, and I would never have spent meaningful time with them talking about meaningful things. It just happened. And I wrote both of those things down in my dad's book, and I, I, I go back and I look at them a lot. And it's going to happen to you. Unless you right now decide, no, this is the greatest privilege that God has given me. To have the title, Dad. Uh, William Bennett, who maybe most of you guys don't know. I know there's lots of guys in this room that are older than me or my age who do know who the name William Bennett is. Bennett was a guy that served nobly. He wrote a book called The Book of Virtues. He served in the Reagan administration. and uh, I think it was Secretary of Education, was the drug czar. Uh, I was at an event one time that he and I were speaking, and, uh, and, and he told a story that, um, that I thought was great. He was on an airplane. This is, this is Bill Bennett. I mean, he was a secretary, right? One of the guys that sat around the table influencing our president. And uh, this is the way he started his message. He was introduced. And he said, I appreciate the introduction, but let me tell you how I introduced myself. You know, and he went through and he said, this is who I used to be. I was chair of this department at this Ivy League University. I was this, uh, at, you know, at this point in my life, this and this. And he introduced me as, uh, I think at the time he was drug czar. And, uh, and he said, it's, it's just normal when you ever introduce somebody, you introduce them by their highest title. And I was on a plane recently. I was sitting next to somebody. And they didn't know who I was. We were talking. And, and the guy said, well, what do you do? And I turned to them, and I, I answered that question this way. He goes, I am a dad. He said, I do that because you always want to introduce a man by his most important title. I am a dad. And there is no more important title that you've been given. Nobody will ever have that title in your kid's life but you. People ask me every now and then, they go, hey man, what, what, uh, what do you do to kind of set your priority? And I go, well, here's something I started to do a long time ago. I try and set my priorities this way. I ask myself, what are the things that only I can do? And I try and make sure I do those things first. And so for instance, I am the only guy in the history of creation that was born in early 1960 that has the DNA that I have that is going to live, Lord willing, somewhere into the 20s or 30s and, uh, of 2000 and uh, that has an opportunity to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There is never going to be another human named Todd Wagner with this DNA who lived in this time that can be intimate with God. And God wants a relationship with me. It's the desire of his heart. He says, I'm the apple of his eye. He wants to know me. He wants to bless me. He wants to shepherd my heart and he wants to grow me. And so I better make sure that that is the one thing that I always do. Secondly, I'm the only guy who can be a faithful husband to Alex Watts, who said yes to me about sharing my life with her in 1991. And uh, I better be a good and present and loving, affectionate husband. Because the guy who wants a relationship with me tells me that if I don't love and lead her the way that I'm supposed to love and lead her, that he'll show me what it's like to not be loved and led well by somebody in a position of authority over me. It's First Peter 3.8. He said, you want to have your prayers hindered? Just treat that lady of yours with indifference. I'm the only guy in the history of the world that's ever going to get to be the biological, present, in-the-home father of six kids. There's lots of guys that can shepherd watermark. There's lots of guys that can preach messages on Sunday. I'm the only guy that can do those three things. So it's fine that I have other responsibilities that only I can do. And I've got roles at watermark that only I can do. And I better make sure I do those as part of my role. But if any of those three things in any way affected those first three things that only I can do, I better figure it out. And so here's what I'm going to tell you guys. There's the four things. I'll give them to you right now in case I don't get back to them. But number one, have a plan. Number two, have a presence. Number three, be a parent. And number four, I'm going to go back and repeat this through all of them. Be a passionate follower of Christ. Have a plan. Have a presence. Be a parent. Be a passionate follower of Christ. That ought to be your first plan, by the way, is to be a guy that, um, that radically falls in love with Jesus. People ask me, man, what's the best thing that you have done as a dad? And the answer is easy, and that is that I have set my heart to study the law of the Lord. And to observe it. And so uh, I just commend to you guys that, that whatever your plan is, and here's the thing, you better have a plan. When I sat down with my kids, I, you know, I realized God gave me three boys and three girls, and so I wasn't going to raise my little boys and my little girls the same because little girls are not supposed to grow up to be godly dads and godly men. They're supposed to grow up to be godly moms and godly women. And so the way I raised them and the way I spent time with them was going to be different than the way I raised and spent time with my boys. And so I just sat down and go, okay, there's certain things that both of them need to do, but there's certain things that are unique to how God's designed them and called them. They're not kids that get to choose who they are. They are who they are. God made them male and female. He created them and he gave me stewardship over them. And so I needed to figure out a plan. So I'm talking to men today, and so I'm just going to tell you the very first thing that I realize that, that men need to do. And I look at, at Scripture, and I see problem. I always see the same source of the problem. The problem is sin, but the way that sin manifests itself in a man's life right from the very beginning in Genesis 3, if you didn't notice it, is it not that he married poorly, right? <laughs> that kind of way guys go, well, here's the problem, man. This chick you gave me, she was over there, you know, having some little emotional affair with a serpent, then went to lunch with him, screwed everything up. And uh, that's not the problem if you read the scripture. 
That was a problem. The problem was, it says that after Eve took the apple, which was a symbol of rebellion against God, that we don't need to to, to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and lean out on our own understanding. We wanted our own understanding. We wanted to decide what was good and evil instead of trusting that God was good and following his ways and letting him make our path straight. It says that when Eve took the apple and saw that it was a delight to the eyes and a delight to the flesh and uh, you know, a delight to the boastful pride of life, she took it and she ate it and she gave it to the man who was with her. Right? That's not new information. If you guys have been hanging around here very long, you've heard us say that. But you hear that again? She gave it to the passive dude over there playing Xbox with his hands in his pocket who had abandoned his post. A man who was supposed to lead, initiate, be a man of action, to hate apathy, to reject passivity, was being passive, wasn't leading, wasn't initiating. He didn't have a plan. And it's caused no small amount of problems, in case you haven't noticed. But this is the biggest problem I see men make again and again, is they're passive. We're not intentionally passive. Passivity is not something you have to go and have a plan for. Passivity is what happens. Static, um, you know, non-movement is natural. It takes some energy to move you. And so some guys just go, I'm just not going to put that work in, man. I think I'll just sit. I'll let life come to me. And I'm going to tell you what you do when you want to let life come to you. Life passes you by. And so you've got to have a plan. The very first thing I taught my boys, here's what men do. Men step up. Again, they assume it's their job, their moment. They take responsibility. They lead, initiate. They are men of action. They hate apathy. They reject passivity. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I love the fact that you guys are here at the dad's class. But that is just step one, man. You got to go to work. And good for you for maybe listening to and being reminded by others what it would mean to go to work. But you got to go to work. In all labor there is profit, not in all note-taking. This is a war, okay? And we don't just study war, we go to war. That's Proverbs 2018. Scripture behind me will say it for you right there. Prepare plans by consultation. That's what you guys are doing. That's great. Make war by uh, wise guidance. And so we've got to make war. And so you guys are here and you're taking notes and you're going, okay, here's some guys that have been at war before me. So this is what I think I I must maybe be supposed to do. Have a plan, guys. Get a plan. And here's the thing. Execute on the plan. Bring your plan into the present do something with it. First of all, that second thing, have a presence. Like I told you, my number one rule for parenting must be present to win. That means you've got to show up and be in your kid's life. You've got to have a relationship with them so you're not just the law. But you love them and they know you love them. And you remind them constantly that you love them. Last night, my big 16-year-old, who is now taller than me, and if he ever figures out, if he eats and does push-ups, he is the young lion that could rule our home physically. And I'm trying not to let him know it. I was in his room. Tell him I love him. I love you, Dad. I love you, Kate. And uh, I want to be present in his life. 
And here's the biggest surprise I think I've had as a parent. You know, when kids are little, you're kind of in preservation mode. You think, man, I can't wait till I don't have to be with them 24-7 or my wife or I be with them lest they die because that's what happens when they're little. And you're like, man, this takes a lot of time. Let me just tell you what takes a lot of time. When you have other adult humans in your house who have their own schedules, their own commitments to school sports, their own commitment to school classes, maybe have a job, hopefully you teach them some responsibility. They have their own social network and friends. It takes a whole different, they have a different complex set of problems. They don't just sit there and wait for you to come home in the front yard and run into your arms. You got to wait for them to come home and run into their arms. The biggest surprise to me, I think, as I look back over the years of parenting, is how much more time my kids take as they get older. And so if you think you're under it right now, let me just tell you something. You better start to look to create some margin if you want to be present. Because they're not just sitting there waiting for you to come home. They've got lives. And here's the other thing. If you have taught them in their young years to not need you, when you start to want to show up because now they're older with more discretionary time and power and freedom, and now the problems that they create can be real problems, which cause more heartache and take more of your time. If you think it's a big deal when a third grader throws a football in a girl's face, wait till you see what else he throws in her face when they're about 16. If you haven't shepherded them, try and work through that. And if you show up and start trying to speak into that kid's life and all you've done is train him for 16 years how to get along without dad, brace yourself. You must be present. The best thing I did as a dad is I was there when they were little. A lot. And I loved them and I built a relationship with them. And my kids have a relationship with me. Thirdly, like I said, be a parent. And what I really want to say about this just very quickly is just, when, you know, your job is not to be your kid's friend. Even when you're present and have a relationship with them, it's not just to be their buddy. And too many of us want their, our kids to like us. Your kids don't need to like you. Your kids need to know you love them. Be a parent. If you have a hole in your heart and your insecurity, you need young people to approve of you in every which way. And if you back down every time they say, you're awful. Our family's the only one that does this. I can't believe it. I hate you. I wish you weren't my dad. And you go, oh man, I better change. If what they're saying is just a a response to things because you got to shepherd their heart and be present in their life. And you're going to hear sometimes things like that. And if that backs you down and go, well, what can I do to make you like me? You're not leading your home. They are. And it's just the way a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old throws a tantrum, just like a four-year-old throws a tantrum when you say he can't grab that thing at the grocery store in the shopping cart. You let your kid throw a fit. You have appropriate consequences and a plan when they throw a fit in the grocery store. And you start to let them know that throwing fits and saying mean words are not going to change the program. Be a parent. And one of the things that parents do is, like I said, they, they, the best thing that they can do is, is show their kids that they themselves have the faith of a child and they love. And, and, and um, that last one is one that really goes through all of them, which is be a passionate follower of Christ. There's nothing better that you can do. But what I want to do is just really quickly bring up, just literally for five minutes, because I want to overwhelm you with guilt. Um, uh, a guy that, that has been around me for a long time, and he's, he's watched me, and I had a little plan, and I thought I did okay, and I love what men do. Men lead, they initiate. They don't just go, Todd, what'd you do? What were those five S's? 
They sit down on their own and they think through it. And so this is my buddy Rick Howard. And so what Rick did is he's got three boys and Rick came up with a plan. Now I share with you this because I want you to know, all right, Rick is an attorney. Rick is uh, a guy who has his own business, runs his own practice. And while that was going on, he's now on our staff, but he hasn't been. This is a man in your world working his butt off, raising three young men. And so he realized, you need to know, man, when your kids uh, hit the age of nine, you're halfway done. You know that? And if your plan is to rally big that last quarter, bad plan. But Rick came up with something called Plan 72. So take it, Rick. Talk to him. Launch 72. Thanks, Todd. So, so the first, let me caveat by saying I, I don't have any original ideas. Like anything that I say is standing on the shoulders of Todd, Kyle Kegler, and a host of other guys. So, so don't look at me as this guy who's figured this stuff out on my own because I really haven't. As much as anybody can be a product of people who are their same age, I'm that guy. Second, the passive dad, the dad who just kind of sat and the world sort of spun around, and that was the, that was the home I grew up in. I love my dad. He's 83 years old. I'm glad he's still alive. But when we came in the house... It was, you know, I was the clicker for the TV set. I was the uh, guy who got the cigarettes and went to the store to buy coffee. That's what we did. He didn't coach. He showed up sometimes, but life was kind of his deal, and that was the model he had seen. So I came at this with the idea of how do I do something that's going to engage my kids? As Todd said, uh, I was in a conversation with Kegler when his, boy, his two girls were uh, three years away from graduation from high school. So they were 36 months from high school, and he goes, man, there's a, there's a bunch of biblical truths I want my, kids, my girls to know. Um, before they leave for home. And it started me thinking, man, there's a ton of stuff I want to know, not just biblical stuff, but just real life stuff and fun stuff. And so what can I do to create a model for that? And so my oldest son at that time was just finishing uh, in the middle of sixth grade. So I'm thinking, man, he starts junior high school in August. That is six years away from graduation, which seems like forever when you really think about six years, seems like, man, that's half his life. But when you say 72 months, it's like, man, months tick by in a hurry. They go by like that. And I'm like, 72 months, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really fast time that he's going to leave my home. And my boys are separated by grade, so I've got a now finishing 10th grade, now finishing 8th grade, now finishing 6th. And so uh, I sent an email out to about 40 guys, guys on staff, friends of mine from Watermark, around the country, and said, hey, what are things that your dad either did great, that they taught you, biblical stuff, spiritual stuff, fun stuff, practical stuff? And I put that in a list and said, okay, what are these things I want to teach? And then I said, okay, what are verses, the core verses you should have known? And so I, at the end of the day, I organized those things into a list very loosely with my old one, now more purposefully with my youngest one and my middle one. Um, Let me stop right here. Do you guys, I want you to hear what Rick did. First of all, he did something and all labor there is profit. Secondly, he made war by wise guidance. Do you hear that? This isn't genius. This is just a guy, he rejected passivity. It wasn't somebody else's responsibility. He goes, I'm going to come up with a plan. He didn't say it's perfect. I'm just going to do something. He's also not a guy that had a dad model that for him. And he's breaking the chain. He's going to set his heart for things to be different. So all I want you to hear is this is an illustration of application to all I've said. And you're like, man, what a blessing to grow up in Rick's home. He just ran the play. Okay. So you've got this information, you've collected it, and now what? Yeah, so then with my oldest one especially, this was just supposed to be something for my family. Like it was, there was no plan that I was going to be on stage talking about this. Wagner's talked about it in other forums. And so there wasn't even a connection between the activity and the verse. Hey, Ryan, can you pull up the second slide for me? 
And so the, so the practical process for this, I called it 72 launch. I called it 72 launch because I'm a kid that grew up watching the Apollo missions back in the, in the 70s. And so they always said, you know, T minus 44 minutes and counting. And so I'm like, I'm going to treat this like an Apollo launch. And Apollo launch, you've got, you know, the components to t- sending a rocket out are, for me, were three things. Like the first was, hey, letters from your ground crew. So I start this with passport to purity. Letters from your ground crew were just words of encouragement. So letters from... Todd Wagner's of the world, Cog Kegler's of the world, coaches they'd had, teachers they'd had, my parents, things like that, just to encourage them as we went on our first trip to Passport to Purity. Uh, second thing is the launch sequence manual. So what are all the fun things we're going to do over the next 72 months? And I've literally been creating them as we go along. And then the third one is, what's your emergency checklist? And so that's a list of 72 sort of core Bible verses and passages. This ought to encourage you. Even if you're a science fair geek and use NASA language, God can use you to be a great dad. <laughs> that's the point here. No, I mean, but I would, I would, Rick took something that was an area of passion for him. He shared it with his kids. Isn't that great? That's just creative. All right, don't get locked up in being that creative, okay? So that's just kind of what he used. 72 launch, right? Six times 12, 72, six years. Here we go. And so, okay. the, so, uh, and so that's kind of your, your model for it. The third slide, Ryan, for me. And so this is just an example of it as I do this real quickly for Todd. So... Math, month one was passport purity. If you haven't talked to your kids about sex by the time they start seventh grade, you're already too late. But if you want to do a great job of doing it in a really purposeful way, passport to purity, which is done by Family Life, is an amazing weekend away to do with your, your son or your daughter. And it's a great starting point for that. So I take my boys away first of August before they start um, seventh grade. And I'll do this with my third son in August. For the, it'll be the third time. And Colossians 1.18 just establishes the preeminence of God. So Because if he doesn't believe up to this point that God's in charge of everything. He's probably not going to believe it going forward, but I want to say, hey, man, this is the stake in the ground. Everything we do the next 72 months, God's going to be the guy who's guiding this process. And then I, then I just go, okay, what are some fun things? My, my boys think that I can turn anything into a teachable moment. Everything has a life lesson potential, and I get more eye rolls and dropped heads and shrugs of, please, God, not another one of those lessons for us, Dad. Um, and so some of the wisdom I've got from my oldest son as we've kind of walked through this together is, hey, would you make it fun? And so, <laughs> hey, let's go. So, so it's, you know, hey, let's go. We're going we're gonna to talk about how to be a godly man, uh, you know, love a woman well in the first one, but let's go learn how to play golf. So March rolls around, let's go learn how to play golf. And I try to find a verse that fits with that. Well, James 1, 2 talks about um, persevering through trials. Like you, I teach my kids how to play baseball, how to read, how to do a whole, I don't know how to teach a kid how to play golf. And that is, perse- and learning to play golf is persevering through trials. So try to do something fun with it. Fast forward another month was month 30. My son wanted to go to Hawaii with a band from Lake Isles. I'm like, hey, guess what? You get to pay for half of it. And he's like, well, how's that going to work out? And I go, well, we're going to start a lawn business this summer. And so how do you keep books? How do you do all this other stuff? Uh, you know, Proverbs 6, uh, Proverbs 6 is go to the ant slugger, consider its ways. And so I'm like, hey, this idea of hard work matters. Starting a business matters. Your kids aren't going to wake up and learn how to work when they're 18 years old. Uh, and then kind of where we are now is, um, I, this is how I ended up on stage today. because I was telling Todd that a lot of times now his real truths, real quicks have become the conversation starter. My oldest son is um, basically, you know, 24 months away from leaving home. And so we're not having conversations about how to play golf or how to change a tire or stuff like that. We're having conversations about, hey, what is it like to, when, do, when should I start dating? What is it like when you've got a, a, a brother in your small group who is constantly in the middle of sin? Um, and so Proverbs 26 or 27, six is, you know, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And so I've tried to make those verses fit with what we're doing. So yeah, 
all, all that stuff to say is, you know, this, look, man, my tables, everybody at my table's got kids that are under eight years old. So they're years away from this, but they're not years away from this, from that point of, man, you got to start initiating. So for me, guys like Todd and Kyle were like, when your boys are young, date them. Every Saturday morning, my boys, we went to breakfast. We started building that relationship, that individual trust level, mm. create ways to build individual stuff. Don't just do it in a group deal. Um, but just get up every day and realize you can do something to build it and then, uh, and being creative. You know, like Todd said, the biggest thing is just initiating whatever it is. This is just another method for it, but whatever it is, just initiate. So you are never, man, thank you, Rick, so much. Man, that's, what a great example. Let's thank Rick for just throwing that together real quick. And we're going to wrap it up, send it to your groups. But listen, all I want you to see about what Rick did is, is he just did something. So here's my admonition to you, man. The guys that are producing things are just doing something. And so a long time ago, I heard a guy say, man, simply start and start simply. Simply start and start simply, but do something. Ask other guys, what are you doing? I wish I had time to talk to you about how I taught my kids about relationships and dating and how I handled dating through high school and college, how I prepared a woman for marriage, how I'm preparing men for marriage. Don Campbell is over there. Ask Don how to raise men. Raise five of them in his home. Men of men, okay? Uh, I see my friend over there, Charles Bundren, all right? All I did is let him raise my entire staff, all right? His, his wife, his kids work here, and they're a blessing. Charles will tell you stuff he wish he'd done different. He'll tell you stuff he thinks he did well. But start simply and simply start. Do something. Assume it is your job and your moment. Your kids are dying for a man to show up. There's a, a deal I did with what I guess they call um, uh, Nest as a ministry here for young mothers especially, and they bring their husbands. And we, my wife and I went and did a, a session with them on just how to leave a godly legacy. And, um, and you can listen to that, and there's much more practical things we talk about there. That's on the Watermark website. You can go check it out. But guys, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm proud of you for being here. But if all we do is go to school and we don't get busy, then our education was just some, you know, process we went through to make ourselves feel like we were learned so get busy do something ask others to help you to encourage you to spur you on your kids believe me are laying in bed at night praying that god would bring a man into their life father thank you for these men as they go down to their different small groups or sit at their tables and just talk i pray that they would just go man what are you doing what do i need to do what'd you do with my with a three-year-old how do you start to talk Pray they wouldn't overwhelm them with systematic theology when they're four. But I pray that there would be a systematic application of theology in their life and they would start understanding, Lord, that you in your sovereignty and omnipotence have stewarded them the privilege of being the primary way that they're going to learn about who you are. And so I pray, Father, your grace would fill the hearts of every man in this room. If there's a guy in this room that can't really even begin to um, model a God-focused life because they've never really done their own business with God, that that would be just job one. That they would just go, hey, now, I'm not really sure, 100% sure, I have an intimate relationship with my Father in heaven. How How do you know you've done that? 
Now, if there's a guy in this room or at a table that that's the question they need to answer, I pray they'd be all in on that first. And then together we'd begin just to model for our kids the importance of that relationship and that we'd run hard after you. Our plan, first and foremost, to leave a godly legacy is to be godly men. And so, Lord, if we're thinking about what we've got to have our kids do without doing that first ourselves, I pray we'd repent. Help us to set our heart, to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. And then in a love relationship with our kids, I pray we would teach, just like Deuteronomy 6 says, his commandments and statutes in our little Israel, and it would be a blessing to them. But Father, we need your help. We are imperfect people, and so we pray that as we go and swing the hammer of faithfulness and being a present father, that you would build this house. As we try and be present and stand guard in our kids' life, we pray you'd guard the city. We need you, Father. Help us to start by listening to you, applying what we've learned, and walking with you day by day. Help these men as they encourage each other now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, a couple things, and then I'm going to let you pray it out at your table, okay? Uh, Logistically, when we're done, if you will grab table tents, pens, all of that, and take it to the back uh, for Josh, that will be uh, really helpful for him, okay? A couple thoughts. Uh, My name is John McGee. I'm the director of marriage ministry uh, here, and uh, like Todd, man, this fires me up to see you guys here uh, in the morning. Man, I love walking in and hearing the buzz and thinking about what's going to happen uh, in 500 families uh, this next summer, okay? One thought is summer is coming, and those of you guys with kids who are in school, this, this time is different. And so if you don't have anything on the books, you don't have a way to spend time with your kids, uh, I would encourage you to think about that right now. Think about it yesterday, okay? And if your kids, if there's something they want to do, I've got a, a 15-year-old daughter that said, hey, Dad, will you go with me and will you take me hiking this summer? There's nothing to think about, and I'll get three days uh, with her, and we've got some really fun stuff uh, on the books, and I ran into a dad who was planning summer of 2017 yesterday, okay. and, uh, and he will make some great memories with his kids, have some great times to invest in them. So uh, if you're late to the game, no worries. There's still, you can still really, really maximize summer, okay? Uh, but if not, I encourage you uh, to, to, to get on it and even start thinking about next summer because not all time is created equal and you've got 18 summers with your kids. 18 summers. And uh, in about three months, one of them's going to be gone, okay? Um, just with the, the whole planning and things like that, as um, Rick was talking about, just, just on a personal note, um, one of the things that's been really helpful to me or two things that's been helpful to me. One is like after I have a win or after you have a win, maybe you sell something, whatever it is your profession is, after you have a win and you've got a burst of energy, that is a great time to put your head down and think about a plan for your family, right? Not when you're whipped, uh, tired, you know, your boss just yelled at you. Um, but once you, when you've got a kind of, a, you're running downhill with a wind to your back, um, go, great, I'm going to think about my family right now and put together a plan. Okay? And the other one is uh, I tend to execute plans that are my idea. Uh, when my wife says, hey, this, we're doing this, I just kind of am resistant, and we've talked about this with, uh, as a couple. And so we tend to go, as long as that's not too crazy, we tend to run with dad's idea just because I've got a whole lot more energy about it. Okay? So uh, whatever, if that's helpful to you. Um, on a fun note, some of you guys with little, I was trying to think about one of the funnest things we ever did with our kids. Um, my kids will tell you one of their funnest night is, nights as a family uh, when they were little was barbarian night. And so that's when, you know, you're always yelling at your kids to sit up straight, use their utensils, and you should, right? You need to not 
release barbarians into the wild uh, when you're done here. Uh, but some nights, when they were, especially when they were little, we'd just say, no, no utensils. And we would just have at it and make a mess. And they, always, they would always ask for spaghetti or things like that, you know. Um, and it was just kind of like a pressure release. And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's traveled well. Um, spiritually, um, I have never been able to crack the code on how to sit down with my kids and go verse by verse through Scripture for any length of time. All right. In fact, one of the last times I tried to do that, uh, my two boys got into a fight. And uh, I said, well, probably this is probably not a good, a good idea. But what's worked for us is just at the end of the day, uh, at 9 o'clock most nights, we just get together, and it's just a real quick catch-up. What was the win for the day? What's, what do you got coming up tomorrow? How can we pray? Anybody learn anything from Scripture? And they, the kids asked, Dad, will you keep it short? Like, we're in if you can keep it short, but don't, don't preach a mini-sermon uh, at us, okay? And so it's not a Bible study. I don't even know what it's called. Just a family meeting. And, and the kids are moderately, moderately look forward to that, okay? But that's kind of what we're, we're thinking about um, as a family. So, uh, guys, this matters. Being a dad matters. Um, and something really, really sobering is... It, um, as important as these kids are because they're your kids, for whatever reason, God has entrusted you with his sons and daughters. The kids that wake up in your house every day, God thought about, he created, he gave unique gifts for, and he died for. And he's given them to you to shape, to love, to discipline, to encourage, to disciple for this brief window. And it's not a game. This matters. Your role matters. You've been entrusted with God's sons and daughters. And I can't think of a more sobering or more fun task to give our lives to. Uh, Go love God's sons and daughters well. Thanks.